Welcome to the Retire Right Podcast with Larry Heller. You deserve complete financial advice. There's no acceptable alternative if you want a plan to live well and on your terms. Complete financial advice equals complete peace of mind. Now, let's get into this week's podcast episode. Hello and welcome to Retire Right with Larry Heller from Heller Wealth Management. Today, Larry has another special guest, and they're going to be talking about year-end taxes. His guest is Scott Cheslowitz. He's a CPA, a partner of Rothenberg & Peters PLLC, and he's been a general practitioner for over 28 years, working with closely held entities, estates, and high-net-worth individuals. His services include accounting, tax and business planning for corporations, limited liability companies, partnerships, and individuals. Scott graduated from Queens College. CUNY with a degree in accounting and is a certified public accountant licensed in the state of New York. He has been quoted several times in the media and has appeared on live business telecasts. Scott has been an adjunct professor at Queens College and has been published several times in the CPA Journal, the Tax Advisor, and in the New York State Society Certified Public Accountant Trusted Professional. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you? Doing terrific, Eric. Hi, Eric. Great. Thank you. So nice to meet you, Scott. Larry, you brought Scott in today. Why is he here? Well, as the calendar turns into December, we'd only have a few days left of the calendar year. So I thought it'd be great to talk about some tax planning year-end tips that everyone should be aware of before we hit 2020. Sounds good. I'm here to learn, guys. (laughs) I need all the help I can get. (laughs) So, Scott, thank you for joining us today. I'm going to start right off with a kind of broad question, but what possible year-end planning tips can you give our audience? Yeah, Larry, thank you for having me. And there are a lot of year-end planning tips depending upon your personal situation. The average person will probably take a standard deduction on their return because of the Tax Cuts and Job Act that was signed at the end of 2017. So what happens was there was a lot of miscellaneous itemized deductions you used to be able to take. You cannot take any more because of that, that tax bill. Also, the salt cap limitation. State and local tax is now limited to $10,000 per annum for an individual. So a lot of people will find that the standard deduction is greater than the itemized deduction. One thing they can do is... They could see where their charitable contributions are in a given year and maybe bunch two years together to possibly have an amount that would allow them to itemize compared to the standard deduction, which means they're lowering their taxable income by even more. There's many ways to give to charity. We can talk about that in a few minutes. They can also look at their mortgage interest expense. Their, of course, their investment interest expense. And you have to do a projection, at least one during the year, and in some cases, two, maybe three, depending upon if you have a business. But if you do a tax projection, probably towards the end of the year, not only do you get a snapshot of where you're going to be from a tax standpoint come April 15th, which is very important for several reasons, But perhaps you can whittle down that tax bill, of course, everything legally. To do a projection is very interesting. You want to look at your pay stubs. 
You want to see where your uh, wages are going to be at the end of the year, what the withholdings look like. And that's a conversation we need to get into later as well in terms of you do not want to be surprised come April 15th. A lot of people were last year. So that's part of the whole conversation too. The tax projection is not only done for the purposes of possibly saving your taxes, but making you aware of what assets you need to marshal come April 15th, federal and state, for example. In some instances where you're not at the salt cap limitation of $10,000, again, that's your state and local taxes, including real estate taxes, if you're an individual, then you may want to pay your state estimate, if you're paying an estimate, or increase your state withholdings so you can get a greater deduction uh, that may benefit you opposed to taking a standard deduction. So you always compare your itemized versus standard. That's one thing you can do. If you have a sole proprietorship, for example, there are several things you can do. It's legal to hold back on invoicing your customers. So you can wait to invoice your customers. It affects cash flow. So that's important. And you can receive, hopefully, those funds in the ensuing year. Each year stands on its own. And when you're looking at this year, you want to have an idea about next year also. You always want to keep your eye on the future. You want to, you want to determine what Congress may be doing, but you're going you're gonna to act based on the knowns. So while it may be wonderful to defer taxes, but next year, if you're going to have a tremendous amount of income because you, you know there's going to be big sales, you just brought in a new customer, for example, who's going to you know, buy a lot of merchandise from you or give you a lot of uh, consulting fees, then maybe you don't want to bunch so much income in the next year because you may be in a much higher bracket. So, you know, the time value of money is important, but then you always want to keep an eye on everything as well. Let's go back and let's talk about some of the individual um, planning tips that you mentioned, you know, the itemized deductions. One thing you mentioned was charitable deductions. You know, so let's explain that a little bit more clearly to our audience. And maybe we could also talk a little bit about, uh, you know, donor advice, you know, funds. So for those that don't know, so if you're not itemizing deductions, if you're hitting, what's the standard deduction limit for Matt? Well, I don't memorize numbers as that changes every year. All right. So it's about, what's about 24,000? They're about, about um, it depends on your age too. Right. You get you get a bump, right? If you're over sixty five. So, so. so if your itemized deductions are below the limit, let's say they're only at fifteen and you give five thousand dollars to charity, you're not gonna get a tax deduction for this for this year, correct? Absolutely correct. So instead of doing five thousand in nineteen in two thousand nineteen, five thousand in twenty twenty, what you're saying is do ten thousand in one year, correct? Absolutely correct. And the type of deduction that you make can be beneficial in many ways. For example, you don't want to just give cash. You want to give appreciated property. So something you held for more than a year and a day, you're not going to have to pay capital gains taxes on that if, in fact, you have a gain situation 
and you're going to get the fair market value deduction. The type of charity that you give that to is very important also. So in some cases, you'll get a 50, I'm sorry, a 60% of AGI deduction. That means that if your adjusted gross income is $100,000, you can give up to 60000 that year and get a deduction depending upon whether it's cash or not. If you're giving to a private foundation and it's appreciated property, it could be 20%. But if you give cash to that private foundation, it could be 30% of adjusted gross income. Now, if you don't get to use all those deductions, you don't lose it. It gets carried forward. So these are things to keep in mind in terms of boosting the current deductions and also keeping an eye on the ensuing year. There's times you may want to give property to get it out of your estate as well. But let's just stick to the charities for, for a second, and we'll talk about the properties in a few minutes. So mm -hmm. a couple of other things that I'm seeing on, on the charity side. One, some people are actually doing child deductions through their IRA. What do you think about, you know, what do you think right. about that? Right. I love that. So the way the law stands today, if you're 70 and a half, you can give up to $100,000 to a qualified charity directly through your IRA. So what happens there is wonderful. You're literally getting a 100% deduction because the income, that 100000 or up to 100000 is not picked up on your return. The deduction isn't on your return, but again, you're not picking up the income. And you're taking $100,000 of what otherwise would be taxed and giving it directly to charity. That is wonderful. Right. And another, another idea that we see is these charity donor advised funds. Right. So, you know, so where, where you can give, you can give a, a large amount, take the deduction in one year, but you spread your actual contributions to the charities over numerous years. So it, another way of grouping all your, uh, grouping your charities in one year. Exactly. And I love that too. So what's happening is, as Larry had pointed out, is let's use that same $100,000 figure. You could put that into a donor advised fund, get a hundred thousand potential hundred thousand dollar deduction depending upon the percentages against AGI. But those contributions can flow from the fund on an annual basis over time, and you're directing the charities that it's going to. Great. Well, let's talk about one thing that most people don't like, and that's come filing the tax return. You have to tell them there's a big tax bill due. And if they had one last year, they weren't happy. So how do you go about avoiding these surprises in the future? Okay, we're going to go back to what we said before. You need to do tax projections. I don't care if you're a high net worth individual or the average person you need to have an idea where you stand tax-wise. What happened last year, as you know, Larry, the withholding tables changed. So more money was infused into the economy because people were withholding less in taxes. All that meant is that the, when you did the return, it didn't mean you were going to pay less in taxes. It means 
you had less paid in towards the potential normal liability that would have been calculated based on tax law. So people were surprised. That's one way people were surprised and had to come up with a lot of money. So again, you need to do tax projections, but I will warn, I will warn the listeners about this. A lot of people didn't find out about the surprise until around April 15th or when they filed their returns. That meant that a quarter of the year for 2019 already passed. So either they adjusted their withholdings upwards, paid estimates, I'd rather you increase your withholdings, or they did nothing and they may be surprised again. So again, do a projection and see if you're going to owe money or not. So obviously, if you don't pay in the right amount, you get, there are costs involved in paying, paying these late, late fees. But let, let's talk about a couple of tax savings ideas. So how do I couple saving tax dollars with retirement planning, Scott? Well, that, that's wonderful. The retirement planning is a way to take current dollars and invest 100% of those dollars any way your financial advisor tells you to do. Hopefully, it's Larry. So rather than taking after-tax dollars, which is a much smaller percentage than 100% of what's being invested, you're taking that money and investing it. And in the future, depending on the tax law, depending upon your rate bracket, then you'll pay taxes when you withdraw the funds. But by investing in, in, in retirement plans, you're decreasing your current taxable income. There's many different plans out there. You need an expert like Larry to steer you based on your, your set of dynamics, your family situation. That's a great point. And for those of you listening out there, it's not too late. Uh, we're talking with some clients to setting up a profit sharing plan and a possibly a cash balance plan. And some of these cash balance plans, you could put away hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it's not too late to do, but it has to be set up before the end, before the end of the year. So all great suggestions, Scott, and, and one that everyone should be looking into because that's a great way of saving a lot of money on taxes. May, may I also continue another point? with reference to year-end planning and retiring plans. When somebody works for a company and they're not a 5% owner, they don't need to distribute, they don't need to take their requirement minimum distribution at 70 and a half. So that's very important. Also, for example, I've had some clients with defined benefit plans and they can continue to contribute to that even though they've reached 70 and a half. So we keep them alive. So even though you need to pick up that income, you're still reducing that amount because you're able to put away in the plan itself. So just a couple of little things I wanted to add. No, the, the, all great things that should be, be everyone should be aware of. I want to jump ahead here and, and talk about something that's very new and a little confusing. So maybe you can kind of explain it in an easy way to our listeners, but that's the Qualified Opportunity Zone Fund Investing. Can you try to explain that and some of the tax advantages of doing that? Right. 
Qualified Opportunity Zone Fund Investing is something that also came in with the Tax Cuts and Job Act that was signed at the end of 2017. And what that allows you to do is it allows you to invest your capital gains into these Qualified Opportunity Zone funds. Now, there's 180 days of time in which you can do that. So if the gain is established by an individual 180 days from the day that they recognize the gain, they have to make that investment. If it's a flow-through entity like a partnership or an S-corp or an estate, for example, or a trust, they can they have six months, 180 days actually, from the end of the year, from December 31st, to invest the money in the fund. Once you invest the money in the fund, there's really like 31 months from when the fund can take that money and invest it in a business or real estate as a form of a business or a a qualifying opportunity zone invest. So what is a qualified opportunity zone? The government says to each state, you have to designate certain areas. At, at the time, it was a minimum of five zones in each state has, of course, launched much more than that. But a qualified opportunity zone essentially are depressed areas in the United States. So it's a form of a stimulus plan to get private sector money into these areas to help build them up. So that's the advantages to the to, to the depressed areas. The tax savings can be enormous in doing this. The first five years that you have an investment in a qualified opportunity zone, you save 10% of your basis. What does that mean? So if your gain was $100,000, if you invest five years in those funds, then that means you're only going to be taxed on 90000 If you invest for seven years, you're going to be taxed on 85000 because the benefit is a 15% increase in basis. The other advantage and a significant one, if you hold the properties at least 10 years, then you will not pay taxes on the appreciation in the Qualified Opportunity Zone Fund, you would still have to pay taxes on the original gain, and that would be after seven years. So up to December 31st this year, you have seven years in which to invest that money and not pay taxes. During that seven years, you can plan for that gain. You can put away some cash. Remember, you don't have to invest the principal. We're talking about investing the gain. I mean, you can invest the principal, but that's something other than what we're discussing right now. We're talking about tax savings. So 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 these things are important. Yeah. So you're getting back your original investment and deferring the gain sometime in in the future is what you're doing. Absolutely. And one thing that's very important, you need to take a look at each state to see if those laws agree with the federal. In other words, New York, New Jersey, they go along with the federal. They're not decoupling for the 
from the federal. It's advantageous to the states because you're building up these depressed areas. But if somebody does do this and they move out of state, New York State, Jersey, for example, that I used can lose those tax revenues. Is there a minimum investment that you see people doing these qualified uh, opportunity zones? You know, it depends on who they're investing with. A lot of these brokerage houses set their own limit. So I don't think you can go ahead and take $2,000 and do it. So that, that's something that's a very good question. It depends on where you're going to invest it. You can set up your own fund. You get a law firm to do that, or you can do it through a brokerage house. Gotcha. So talking about you know, other ways of saving money, let's, let's focus on businesses a little bit. And you know, the, the, the key word from the new tax code was section 199A. Yeah. So how does a business, does it qualify for this? And what is it? And how much can they save? Okay. Code section 199 cap A. The reason that came into being is because the Tax Cuts and Job Act reduced the corporate, the C corporate to 21%. So originally the government was talking about reducing rates for flow-through entities, S corporations, partnerships, for example. So what a flow-through entity is, it's where the income is taxed on the individual return. So a way of making it up to owners of small business and owners of these flow-through entities, they said, we're going to give you a potential 20% deduction on qualified business income. Typically, it's trade or business income. We look at code section 162 to define that, although there's no bright line test. It doesn't apply to all entities after certain phase outs come into play. For example, there's what's known as an SSTB. That is a specialized service trade of business like accountants, like consultants, like financial managers, for example, doctors. So where you're getting remuneration, which could otherwise be looked at as wages, they're saying, we will give you that deduction up to limits. The limits are based on whether you're single or married filing jointly for 2018. So 2019, basically the same. They've added head of household, things like that. There's a wonderful opportunity to decrease your taxable income by understanding code section 199A. So again, 20% of your qualified business income, but it's also subject to your taxable income. So if your qualified business income is again, 100,000, but your taxable income is reduced to 80,000, it's 20% of the 80,000. One thing to keep in mind, if you have losses from those entities that would otherwise generate qualified business income, those losses get carried forward and can reduce your deduction in the ensuing years. It's the law. You have to carry those forwards, but it's something to keep in mind. Yeah, and let's just remind our audience that not every business qualifies for 199As. 
Exactly, exactly. So we discussed if you're service-oriented, if you're somebody who makes their riches off of their reputation, for example, and again, there's no real bright line test there. Guidance came out to help us with that. So we're waiting for more guidance because there's still areas where it's very questionable, do I get it or not? The government did come out with guidance with reference to real estate uh, investors, landlords, things like that. So surprise, surprise, the real estate can, can use the exception. Yes, that's right. In fact, what, what goes into the calculation for whether you have a limiter is the unrealized business uh, 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 cost basis, and that is the actual amount you paid and not the depreciated balance, you can take two and a half percent plus 25% of wages to determine whether you have a further limiter on that deduction or not, or 50% of wages. It may be important for your accountant, whoever that may be, maybe you'll come to me, I hope, <laughs> to aggregate entities as well. One entity may have DUBIA, Another entity may have wages. They have to be similar in class. And then once you aggregate, they're aggregated for life. So those are important planning tools. Let's talk about just some specific planning that individuals should make sure that they check before the end, you know, the, the end of the year. So we never lose money for clients, of course. But there are times where clients have a loss position in their port portfolio. So what could they do to benefit from taxes if they see some losses in their position, in their portfolio? Right. As the savvy money manager, you know that the investment itself is more important than just taking the tax loss. So if you feel good about the investment, keep it. If you have something you're not sure about anymore, definitely take the loss, especially because it can offset capital gains dollar for dollar and up to $3,000 of ordinary income. Any losses you can't use gets carried forward. So that's a good thing. Harvesting losses one day may be valuable to you. Naturally, you don't generate losses <laughs> So we can't do that. But you do generate gains. And harvesting gains with reference to getting back to the qualified opportunity zone fund investing could be an excellent idea. It could be a year where you say, you know what? I want to trigger this mountain of gains because we've got this other opportunity here. Right. And like Scott was saying, so some of the things on the tax loss harvesting that we do, uh, if you are, have a loss in a mutual fund position, you could actually buy a similar fund. So you sell the loss, uh, sell the fund, book the loss, buy a similar fund, and 30 days later, go back into the original fund. It's a way of avoiding what's called the wash sale rules and, and getting those tax losses. So that's one thing you should kind of ask your advisor or look at your portfolio. And if you see some losses in there, seeing, okay, how can we take advantage, you know, how we can take advantage of that. Let's talk about a couple other, you know, I think points which our audience would be interested in, especially uh, the New York State audience. So what, what I find is that 
a lot of people don't realize you get a tax deduction for your Section 529 plans. That's right. You, you can, if you're married, filing joint, you get up to a $10,000 deduction on your New York State return. That's an immediate return on investment. That has to be, though, a New York 529 plan. So if you invest in a Rhode Island plan, and some people may because it may be doing much better than the home state that you're in, but you know what? If you invest in a New York 529 and you're married, finally joint, you get up to 10000 If you're single, for example, you get 5000 Right. I mean, it's part of that. You know, we have clients that they're actually not doing a 529 anymore. They're, they're, the children are actually in college. So what we actually tell them to do is put $10,000 in uh, at the end of the year in December and then take, the, take it out in January and pay for schooling. So it's a unique way of actually taking advantage of the tax deduction in New York, in New York State. So one other tax planning idea that we, we talked about, we talked about sheltering some gains by using the opportunity zones. So we've come across some potential clients that for one reason or the other have some large business losses that they're going through. And one of the things that we're actually looking into is doing Roth conversions. Right. So, you know, talk to me a little bit about that. Right. Well, Roth IRAs are a wonderful way uh, for people to generate lots of wealth and depending upon how long you hold it and to what age you hold it, you can withdraw uh, when retirement comes and not pay taxes on the appreciation. It's wonderful. Right. So, so a Roth conversion then. So if you have an, if you have an IRA, you, like we talked about before, you're going to have to take minimum distributions when you're 70 and a half. Uh, but if you have some large losses for in one year, what you can do is convert the Roth, convert the IRA into a Roth. And instead of paying those gains, you got to be careful. If you're over, under 59 and a half, you could have a penalty. But if you're over 59 and a half, you could take the money out of an IRA, convert it into a Roth and have those gains offset against the business losses. So for anyone that's out there that either has a business loss for the year or maybe for whatever reason, you're in a commission business and your business was down or you are out of work. If you're in a low tax bracket, like Scott said earlier, doing projections now, having your account do a projection, if they're showing a loss, then the next thing you should be thinking of, oh, how can I offset some of that losses with some of my gains? So all these tax planning, don't let it the end of the year go by. Don't waste December without thinking of these. Get your account to run your projection and think about ways that you can either shelter some taxes um, or save money outright. You know, Larry, those are great points. Another thing I'd like to add, too, is before when we were talking about Section 199 Cap A, and I said the limitation is either on qualified business income or taxable income. If you can increase your taxable income and increase that 20% deduction, you know, the tax bite isn't as bad as you thought it was. That's why you need to work with your professional. It's not always bad also to convert to a Roth IRA, and there's no AGI limitation on that whatsoever. If you're not in a high bracket, as Larry pointed out, pay the taxes now 
hopefully later on you won't you know, you won't pay taxes on a tremendous amount of wealth. The other thing is that penalty is important. It's a ten percent penalty. So if you're under fifty nine and a half, please be leery of it. There are always exceptions. Code section two thirteen qualified medical expense. If you were to be entitled to it, things like that, disability, stuff like that. But those are very excellent points. So in kind of, you know, we've covered a lot of ground today, Scott. You know, what, what, what haven't we covered that you'd like, like the, our audience to know about some tax savings ideas for, uh, for the end of the year? Well, there, there's many, many planning opportunities depending upon your situation, the type of business you're in. If you're a cash basis taxpayer, you can still accrue a qualified contribution to a profit sharing plan. So even if your cash basis, which means that you only get a deduction when you pay the bill hypothetically and you pick up the income when the money is received hypothetically, in this particular place, if you have a plan and you need to put $30,000 into it, you can get a deduction for that, even though you will be paying that money in the ensuing year before you file a return typically up to September 15th, unless you file before that. You want to make IRA contributions if, in fact, your income is too high to take a Roth deduction, but you can make an IRA contribution, and the next year you can convert it into a Roth. There's no income limitations on that. Mm. Yeah, great, you know, great ideas. The, the takeaway that I get from now is don't wait until April to start to do some of these tax planning ideas because you may lose you may lose them. Yeah. So so you know reach out to your you know reach out to your accountant you know and it, and if you'd like some more information about you could find Scott at Scott Cheslowitz at Rothenberg RothenbergPeters dot com or at five one six seven seven three thirty two hundred. Scott, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thank you, Larry. I had a lot of fun. And thank you for your wonderful tips as well. Guys, thank you so much. There is a ton to unpack in this podcast. Scott, thank you so much for being here. Larry, thank you again so much for bringing him in. Uh, I know that the audience learned a lot and they probably got a lot of questions so they can give you a call and get those taken care of. And again, audience, thank you for listening to the Retire Right Podcast with Larry Heller. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Larry comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Hello Wealth Management, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time.